Thank you. Thank you. Um, it is an honor and a privilege to have Kevin and his wife and his son here um, with us today. Um, and the sermon is titled, Our, Our Story in a Strange Land. And this has been a strange land for me. And people like Kevin and people like Keith have made me feel at home in this land. And I was thinking of how do I want to introduce Kevin. I think he is a man that embodies um, true leadership in the city and true leadership in the church. And for me, Kevin has been a gatekeeper. He's been a gatekeeper that has invited me into a conversation um, that I have no right to be in. Um, I came in there as cur a curious kid from Scotland, um, and Kevin invited me in. And that has shown me a side of the city, shown me a side of this country, and shown me parts of my heart that I never knew were there. Um, and I thank you for that. But the three words I would use to describe Kevin's leadership and his ministry is that um, he is proximate, he is persistent, and he is hopeful. That Kevin, any march that happens in the city, any work that's going on in the city, Kevin is involved. Um, he is near to the people he works with. He is involved. He rolls his sleep up, and he is involved, uh, involved, and he is hopeful. And that's the one thing about the black church experience that has blown my mind is in the face of unbelievable odds, um, the church and the people in the church have remained hopeful and beyond that expectant that change can happen. And the openness to people who represent the oppression that has caused the situation, that blows my mind. So I'm thankful and humbled and grateful that you have opened my heart to the conversation and opened it to your friendship. Um, we're humbled and we're honored that you're, you're here with us today with your family. So please welcome Kevin Jones. Good afternoon. I'm Baptist. Y'all got to talk back to me. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's a joy uh, and a pleasure. I'm not going to scare y'all, but uh, it's a joy and a pleasure to be here. Uh, first, giving honor to God and my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is truly the head of my life. Uh, I greet you in that wonderful name. Um, and just before I start, why don't you give your lead pastor a hand, Pastor Keith Case. Why don't we celebrate him? Amen. Hey, man, he's truly uh, a friend and, and a brother, and I always tell people, um, always a little, a little cautious when, when, when a white clergyman approaches you and wants to have, you know, conversation about race. We had tried that with another historic congregation in this city, and it didn't go so well, um, but um, Keith kept coming back, along with Jordan, and just, just kept coming back, and and as they mentioned, uh, we've had four years of, of rich conversation, and, and I believe it, it yet appears uh, what the, the fruit of those conversations will be. So just really grateful uh, for his friendship and leadership, and Jordan as well. Uh, just like to um, introduce my wife, Michelle, and Brandon. Can y'all raise your hand, wave your hands? Or, amen. Yeah, they thought that. Appreciate them hanging out with me tonight. Uh, it's good to have them here, uh, but, but it's good to be here. And, and, you know, we will continue to have these discussions, and, and uh, you know, I just ask that you all will avail yourselves. Uh, sometimes they're uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes they're, they're hard. But, but truly, uh, to be able to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, uh, we, the church has to lead, amen? And the church has to walk that walk. Uh, so just so grateful uh, for this opportunity. 
Uh, there is a, a passage of scripture that will be our foundation for tonight, and I'm going to particularly uh, focus in on verse 4. Uh, but the scripture is Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4. They're already on the screen. I'm reading from the New International Version of the Sacred Writ, and this is what it says. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. And listen to this response. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the doing of his holy word. And as you've already heard, the subject of the, this message tonight will be our story from a strange land. Our story from a strange land. Pray with me. Gracious God, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for the power and the presence of your spirit. Now, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus we now do pray. Let all who love the Lord say amen. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Our story in a strange land. Our story from a strange land. August 2019, I had the privilege of going home. I had the privilege of going back to the Commonwealth of Virginia, a place, truthfully, even after being here 25 or close to 24 years, rather, I still call it home. It's a land that I love. My primary focus uh, for this trip wasn't to visit my blessed parents. As a matter of fact, I was there to participate in a, a three-day conference focusing on inner-city violence reduction and improving the outcomes of black males. I was in Hampton, Virginia, about three hours east of where I grew up. But this trip had a deeper significance. It was more than hooking up at night with my cousins going to dinner. It was more than learning new strategies and making contacts uh, in the work that I do. That week was the 400th commemoration of the first Africans landing in Fort Monroe, Virginia. Yes, I know you often hear that they first landed in Jamestown. That's incorrect. The first. Africans in chains landed in Fort Monroe, Virginia. I had mixed emotions when I looked at the itinerary when I got to my hotel room, Keith, and I saw that we were going to participate in a program at Fort Monroe. Started sweating. Heart started racing. Had trouble sleeping that night. I didn't know how I would respond. And it was a surreal experience as the tour guide gave us a history of what took place on Fort Monroe on that cloudy and rainy day. And as many of us looked out on the Chesapeake, there was complete silence. And then we collectively wept. 
and lamented over the journey that our ancestors endured. I pondered what was on the mind of those Africans in chains as they entered into this strange land. They had no idea what they were about to endure. They were about to be a part of one of the most cruel, inhumane, and unjust systems that ever visited mankind. They had no idea of how they were the first of millions that would endure the Middle Passage. In the midst of this great pain and in the midst of uh, these tears, I, I was still honored and humbled to be in that sacred space. And in this month where we pause to remember and honor and celebrate black history, I am equally honored and humbled to be in this space. Because quiet is kept, you don't have many white churches desiring to hear about black history or the black experience. Our story in this land has been a complex one to say the least. But Jordan, I'm both grateful and disappointed in the state that I grew up in. And in like manner, I'm grateful for the opportunities of this country, yet I am disappointed in the racial injustice that has taken place in this same country and more especially the failure to acknowledge it. Should trouble you too. But when the dust settles, the Lord has been good. But it hasn't been an easy journey in this strange land. As we engage our text this evening, I believe we are looking at a passage that relates to the people of a darker hue. We find another people who were in bondage. This psalm was either penned during the Israelites' 70 years in Babylonian exile or shortly thereafter. Whenever it was penned, it was a painful psalm. The writer said that the Israelites sat by the rivers of Babylon weeping in deep pain and agony over where they found themselves, reminiscing about home, thinking about family, thinking about their culture, thinking about the temple where they worshiped and the loss of their freedom. The text tells us that they were so heartbroken that, that they hung their harps in disgust on the willows. They didn't see any reason or desire to play their instruments in this land where they had no connection. And then to top it off, the text informs us that these tormentors, their captives with little empathy, had the nerve to ask them to perform. Why don't what y'all sing uh, one of them songs from Zion? And in many ways, my brothers and sisters, we still have tormentors in our society today. Hate to say it, but we have many white brothers and sisters that grow weary of the racial equity discussion and they want blacks to live their lives. They want us to shut up and just perform and to go on with business as usual. Slavery was in the past. Why do we have to keep talking about slavery? Why do we have to continue this conversation. Be grateful for what you have. As a matter of fact, keep rapping and keep performing, keep dribbling, keep running that ball and singing those songs. If I could push it deeper, we even voted a, a black president into office twice. 
What are you complaining about? We are in a post-racial society. Oh, my brothers and sisters, we will not and we cannot forget as a country and we cannot know where we are going until we know where we have been. But y'all know I'm a Baptist preacher, so I got three points for you. If you didn't know, Baptist preachers always got three points. First point I want to leave you with is that our story is a story of struggle. Similar to the Israelites who wept by the rivers of Babylon, I'm sure my ancestors did the same. Trying to figure out what happened. Trying to figure out where was God. Trying to make sense of this foreign land where they didn't speak the language and had to adjust to the new culture and climates. It was a strange land where there was and still is a lot of struggle. For many, it was too much to bear. And many slaves lived out their spiritual that says, before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to the Lord and be free. Literally, you had slaves that would walk into the river and drown themselves, refusing to be held captive, refusing to be slaves. They would rather die than live. They would drown themselves or those who would try to escape. If they were caught, that could have been a death sentence. There were also insurrections led by preachers by the name of Nat Turner and Denmark Vesey that would rather kill uh, for their freedom. And, and to strive to obtain their freedom by any means necessary, and they lost their lives for the cause. It was a struggle. Overworked, fed scraps, poor living conditions, sexual exploitation, separated from family members, never to be seen again. Our story has been a story of struggle. They were not seen as human. And as you move through Reconstruction and Jim Crowism, things were not easier. It brings to mind Keith, Jeremiah 29, 6-7, when Jeremiah told the Israelites that they were going to be in Babylon a while. Y'all going to be there a while, so what you need to do is build houses and settle down and plant gardens and build families and pray for the prosperity of the city because if the city prospers, you will prosper, prosper also. Uh, that's, that's where the text lost the African-American experience, because African-Americans tried to live and, and tried to do the best that they could, but still injustice continued. Lynchings, something called peonage, poverty, poll taxes, separate but unequal facilities. But to be sure, in the midst of the struggle, Organizations like HBCUs, historically black colleges, were created because we couldn't get into or were not allowed to get into the public white institutions. The National Council for Negro Women, the National Urban League, and the NAACP, among others, were created to help equip and educate black folk, and many of them are still alive and well today. So even in the midst of the struggle, there were some that were showing leadership 
for the movement. But once again, it was still a struggle. And it's still a struggle in many instances today. During the Lyndon Johnson administration, the Kerner Commission issued a report that pulled together comprehensive data to assess specific social and economic conditions of African Americans. And although we have Jay-Z, although we have Oprah Winfrey, although we have Barack Obama and many others, I'm sad to report 50 years later that there hasn't been much movement. Although we're better educated, there hasn't been virtually any movement in home ownership, unemployment, and incarceration. In some instances, it's actually worse. Incarceration rates for African Americans have tripled since 1968. Home ownership hovers around 40% when in 1968 it was about 36%. Unemployment rate for African Americans is 7.5%. I would, I would decree it's higher, but then they said in 1968 it was 6.8%. In white families, the, the medium uh, white uh, income for white families are 10 times as much, or 10 times as high as compared to African American families. Now, just as a Side note, I don't believe that is by accident. I believe we still live in a, 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 a racist society that is full of structural and, and institutional inequities that I'm sure many of you don't even think about. So our story has been a story of struggle. Point number two, our story has been a story of faith. Let's not get it twisted. It has and continues to be a struggle for my people in this strange land. If you go a few blocks north of here, you will be in a totally different environment. In some of those pockets, it looks like a third world country. It's a strange land. But an average people, an average people would have been wiped out by now. Quiet is kept, we should have lost our minds a long time ago and allowed hate and hopelessness to consume us but as one of our uh, uh, saintly hymns of the church say, we have come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word. He's never failed us yet. You know we can't turn around. Why? Because we've come this far by faith. And how else? How else could they have survived the Ma'afa or the Middle Passage? How else could they have survived and endured chattel slavery? How else could they have uh, endured Jim and Jane Crowism? How else could we have endured the injustices that continue to be rained down on our heads as a people? It's only been by the grace of God. And although... My brothers and sisters, although my forefathers and foremothers refused to sing the songs of old, they developed new songs. Black folk know how to improvise. Out of their pain predicament, they developed songs that slave masters didn't understand as they worked during the heat of the day. They were called spirituals. Songs like Down by the Riverside and Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, coming for to carry me home. As they worked, they, they sung these songs. 
And these spirituals were foundational to the hymns and the gospel music that we are known for today. Songs that we, that are songs that we still sing today. That's why we can never forget because we still sing those songs that were sung three, four hundred years ago. Songs that you will hear in the Sunday morning or Sunday night at Tabernacle Church. Songs like the Lord will make a way somehow. Precious Lord, take my hand. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. And Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in times of storm. Music is an integral part of the black church and our faith. In the antebellum South, there was something called the invisible institution. You see, a lot of the spirituals that I've mentioned, um, the slaves were saying while they were working would let everyone know where they were gathering for church on that night. The white preachers, they would only focus on texts like slaves obey your master. But in the invisible institution, that's when we had church. And they would preach on the exodus of the Israelites. They would preach about Jesus and how they understood that the Lord was a way maker and a liberator. They had so much genius that they would create their own structure. They would create their own church down by the riverside. They would dampen blankets and they would strategically hang them. And when they prayed or preached or sung, oftentimes they would have big basins of water and they would sing and pray and preach over into that basin of water to deaden the sound. So Master couldn't hear them as they prayed. And although whites would bomb and burn our churches, it was a place where we faithfully attend. It was a place where uh, we found life. After being treated like second-class citizens all week, it was a place where they knew that they were somebody. They knew that they were created in the image of God. They were here over and over again that they were loved by God. In the community, they may have been mistreated, and the elders would have been called boy and girl by people that were young enough to be their grandchildren. But come Sunday morning, they will shine their shoes. Come Sunday morning, if they had a clean pair of overalls, they'll put on their overalls. Come Sunday morning, they would put on their Sunday best. They would put on their high heels and their church hats. And they would come uh, to praise the Lord. So although in society they were boy and girl and anything else but a child of God, but come Sunday morning, they were pastors. They were deacon. They were a missionary. They were an usher and trustee. It was a place where they would hear the gospel preached simple, pure, and free. The church was a place of empowerment and enlightenment and education. It wasn't a place where you just went in and out, but you spent some time in the church. Tutorial job and housing programs were developed by the black church to help their people. Why? Because nobody else would help them. And I'm proud to be the assistant pastor of the oldest black Baptist church 
in this city. We've been here longer than the city has existed. Many of y'all may not know, but Palm Beach wasn't always Palm Beach. It was something called the Sticks, actually where African Americans uh, resided. My church it was initially named Mount Olive Baptist Church. You have Payne Chapel AME Church. They, they were founded there as well. But as soon as Henry Flagler found out that that was prime real estate, they were pushed off of that land. Many historians say they were burned off of that island. And they were placed in the northwest corridor of West Palm Beach. But I'm proud of a church that has led the way in many of these efforts. We have built homes. We built 53 houses. We've built a 15,000 square foot community center to have a health center housed there. We have tutorial programs. We're, uh, we register voters. We do all these things for the cause of Christ. Black church, we don't have the luxury of just coming Sunday morning and leaving. We have to be concerned of still about the social conditions of our community. But not only that, the church was also a sacred space where the prophetic arm of the church came to the forefront. They preached on the prophets. They preached the Gospels and were witness to how uh, they were willing to change systems and speak out for the least of these. That's why you got to read the prophets and the Gospels. God and, and Jesus was on the side of justice. Michael 6, 8 tells us that we are called to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. This is how the civil rights movement was able to accomplish what it accomplished because they were filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and they feared no evil and they knew that the Lord was on their side. Our faith has sustained us. Our story is a story of struggle. It's a story of faith. Last but not least, as Jordan mentioned, it's a story of hope. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, Paul says that we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I believe this passage sums up the African-American experience and is yet to be United States of America. It's nothing short of amazing that we are still here. We have been through hell and back, but we're still here. We've been through many ups and downs, but we're still here. We've been through many dangers, toils, and snares, but we are still here. And by faith, I believe that our best days are yet ahead. And if any of you, and I know some of you all were at the, at the conversation the other night, as I stated, I'm not blinded to the fact that this country has regressed over the past four years. And what's really disturbing is that we have many white evangelical churches failing to hold this administration accountable. Sometimes I wonder 
Is it a, is it a, is it a black church Bible and a, and a white folk Bible? Sometimes I wonder, are we reading about the same Jesus? Can I get a witness? You see, many of these institutions, not necessarily talking about providential, but many, many of these institutions are good admissions. Yeah, they'll go into black and brown communities. They'll play with little black kids. They'll tutor. They'll build houses. They'll adopt schools. They'll feed the hungry, which are commendable. But we also need y'all to come from behind these stained glass walls of comfort and stand with us on issues of public policy. See, don't, don't, don't only be about the missionary work, but also be about the justice work. We need to address, once again, the structural and institutional inequities in our county and in our country. That's where real change occurs. And I'm not going to fool you, it's not easy. Oftentimes, it's dangerous and it's unpopular. My pastor always says that our uh, prophets, Keith, prophets were not able to enjoy their 401k. Oftentimes, prophets are killed. But I'm challenging, in love, I'm challenging the white church on this evening to pick up the mantle of social justice. Pick up your prophetic mantle. We need more evangelical churches to become part of an organization called Peace, which is a local organization comprised of 20 faith communities that address systemic issues in Palm Beach County. We have the Catholic Church. We have the Episcopal Church. We have the non-denominational church. We got the Baptist, the AME. But we cannot count the evangelical churches. We need to open your we need you to open yourselves up to racial equity training, which I know a few of y'all have been a part of, and implicit and explicit bias trainings. We need you to be enlightened. We need you to stretch and, and grow your knowledge about the black experience. This is not because we are lazy. This is uh, not the, the, the condition that we're in. It's not because we're not doing our part. If you take time to be in some of these workshops, uh, you, you will know, and it's laid out for you, that since slavery, there's been affirmative action for white people for centuries. Again, we all are always asked, what's wrong with us? Why can't we grow? Why, why can't we shut up and complain and pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. What I have news for you, y'all didn't pick yourself up by your own bootstraps because there's been a system that has been laid out for you for centuries. But I'm going to keep moving because I want to come back. Need you to stretch. We need you to, to be comfortable with your uncomfortableness. We need you to grow your knowledge about the black experience. Learn about black liberation theology. Read some James Cone, read some C. Eric Lincoln, read some Jacqueline Grant. If you haven't already, I, I would encourage you to watch Roots. Watch Amistad, watch 12 Years uh, a Slave. Read any of Taylor Branch's books on the Civil Rights Movement. 
read slavery by a new name from Douglas Blackman, the new Jim Crow from Michelle Alexander, and the warmth of other sons by Isabel Wilkerson. And I'm going to push you here. We love, we love hosting y'all at Tabernacle. We love breaking bread with each other. We love our conversations that we have there. But why not we come here? Why don't you host workshops and talks for your community here in this space? Invite some folk in your circle that may not be plugged into this work. It'll be uncomfortable. It will be dangerous. But we will be better off in the long run. I believe our best days are ahead. And I believe that Providence, your church, could be a part of bringing equity to this community, bringing down the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that if, if Providential will continue to, to partner with Tabernacle and others, I believe that we could be the beloved community that Dr. King talks about. You heard it the other night. There are spaces and there are people that you can reach that I can never reach because they feel like we're angry. They feel like we're militant. They feel like we're always complaining. But sometimes the message from a different messenger may get through. But what I would tell you is the beauty about peace, it's amazing that because we, we challenge systems to change different policies. And what's always amazing is that when they step into that Palm Beach County Convention Center with 2,000, close to 3,000 people that are white, black, and brown, and yellow, they don't know what to do. Because we have representation from all uh, theological aspects, uh, social aspects of Palm Beach County. Why? Because we don't get hung up on theology, but we're more concerned about all of our faith traditions call us to do justice. If we could get the evangelical church, if we could get Providentia in that space, eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man what could take place in Palm Beach County. But there's a song that, that, that we sing uh, often when we are in interracial spaces. And I'm going to just give you a little bit of the chorus. It says, I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is his will that every need be supplied. You all are important to me, and I need you to survive. A story from a strange land. It's been a story of struggle. It's been a story of faith. But more especially, it's a story of hope. Let us pray. God of creation, we love you and we thank you for this day. And God, I pray that your words will fall on fertile hearts, and fertile minds. Lord, once again, let us not uh, go, through these, uh, go through these gatherings, Lord, just to say that we've been here. Lord, but we pray that, um, I pray that, that my white brothers and sisters will continue to be 
your hands and your feet. But they will stretch themselves and be about the cause of justice. Because if we work together, your kingdom can be glorified. The oppressed could be liberated. And you will get the glory. It's in Jesus' name we do pray that all the people of God who love God say amen. Amen.